This is the Branches Podcast. We try to keep it simple in this family of faith. Love God and love people. Let's not make it harder than Jesus intended. If you'd like to know more about our community of faith, you can visit us at branchesoc.com. So who are the good people and who are the bad people? Have you ever asked yourself that question? For the most part, we pretty much make up our mind who are the good people and who are the bad people. For the most part, we're always the good people, right? I don't think there's too many people that would categorize themselves as evil. Um, Yet my whole perspective of how this works got turned upside down in so many ways. But one particular time, it was a few years back and I was traveling through Europe. I'd, okay, it was a lot of years back because I was out of college and I just finished. And before I moved on to the next step, um, I'd saved up some money and I, I just went traveling. And I'd gone to work in um, the Ukraine, in Kiev, and then since everybody else was coming back, I could drop into Europe and travel. And while I was there, I thought, I'm an American. I'm the good guy. Except I had people I'd meet from different countries that would say, look, you need, you need, to, you need to try to hide your Americanism. I'm like, what? Now you have a choice there, right? You have a choice whether you can start singing the American songs louder, raising the flag higher, getting in arguments. And I was feeling it. I was like, how dare you? We're the US of A. And I would see other Americans traveling with backpacks with Canadian flags sewn on the back because they can't tell the difference between an American and Canadian and the Canadians they're all fine with. But for Americans, they, we, we were not well-liked in most places. And so after I got through my defensiveness, I started to ask myself the question, why? Could we maybe not be just the good people? Does this make us the bad people? Does this, are we neutral? Because we want to put people in categories. It's so easy to just put us into two camps, the good, and the bad, but it's much more complicated than that. And so I started asking questions and and asking questions of people that made it clear to me that they were not fans of my country. But here's the crazy thing, as we're together, they move from thinking of me as bad and then we, we become friends. And so then what they disagree with is the policies or actions of my country. And in the same way with some of the people that I met from different countries and different places, they're associated, they're a part of a membership or a club or a residency in an area that I had a poor perception of. And then I was able to learn more about them. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not really an expert in this whole who's good and who's bad, which country is good, which is bad, which people group is is. Yay, and which one is bad? What if, what if you're not the expert? You may think you are because we all want to feel in control or feel comfortable, so it's so much easier if we're the expert. 
But what if, what if? So there was an expert in the law that came to Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start here in verse 25. And this expert approaches Jesus because he feels that he can test Jesus. If you feel you can test somebody, you feel either equal with them or above them. And you want to set them straight in front of everybody else. And so there was some kind of a crowd around. And it says that this expert in the law stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Or how do I have this full life here and after? Now, what I'm noticing more and more when I see Jesus interacting with people, the more immature people present themselves as experts. This particular person is an expert in the law, the law, the Torah, the rules, what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? And if you do the wrong thing, that means you're the wrong person. And as we're going through this series on loving God and loving people, as we as a church are replanting, we as a community of faith need to get this right. And it, the first step is to realize we're not experts. As soon as you categorize yourself as an expert, you're in trouble. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And this is unique because Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment earlier? And he says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength from Deuteronomy and love your neighbor as yourself, which is in several places. And so when he asks this expert in the law, he says the same thing, which I think is amazing. Maybe he was listening to Jesus because this was not a common statement of what's important. So maybe he was listening to Jesus on a prior teaching. Maybe he was there when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? By another expert in the law, by the way. And so this expert in the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So you know what? He's coming across like an expert right there in his perspective. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Did you catch that? Do this, which means love God and love neighbors. It's not just the fact that you have the right answer. It's that you need to live this answer out. And so it says in verse 29 that this expert in the law wanting to justify himself. That's just another way to say he wanted to win. He wanted to lift himself even higher. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove himself. He says, well, then who's my neighbor? And so Jesus flips it on him. I mean, Jesus could just answer it, but he doesn't. He tells a story. And when he tells this story, it's the story of what we would say, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But we have to remember who he's talking to. He is talking and answering to this person who thinks they're an expert. And Jesus puts this expert into the story. And then he adds another person into the story who 
this expert would consider an enemy of theirs. If you were to break up good and bad, this person that Jesus brings up in this parable is bad because of all that they have done to their people. Here we go. So Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem, and it was down in terms of geography. Uh, and he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers because this road is one of those places where you shouldn't be out at night. And so it's common for someone to get basically mugged. And so he gets mugged, and they beat him up, and he's dying on the side of the road. Now by chance, a priest, a priest is an expert. And so this priest is going down that road, and when he saw this man dying on the side of the road, he passed by on the other side. Now he had his reasons. His reason was, well, if I touch a dying man, then I can't do my priestly duties and God would be upset with me. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's the thinking. Now remember what Jesus said to this expert in the law earlier. You have answered correctly. Now go and do it. This priest doesn't do it. This priest may even know this answer if this priest was asked that question, but is not living it out. And then another person, a, a Levite, also known as an expert, um, a lawyer, much like the person asking the question, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side for the same reasons. And so now Jesus has taken this expert in the law that's asking the question and he's telling the story and he takes him and says, now you're in this story and you're in this story and you have passed by this neighbor of yours, this person that's in need. You've walked around him. You answered correctly, but in the story I'm sharing with you, you don't actually stop. You just keep going. And then a Samaritan comes by. Now, as soon as he says the word Samaritan in this company, everybody's going to go, ooh, because they think of them as the bad people. They're half-breeds. They've said this. They've done that. They've, they've interpreted what God wants us to do the wrong way because they're the wrong people. And they've been at war with each other culturally for decades. They hate each other. So he brings up this name, which would just be a visceral reaction in the others that are listening. But the Samaritan, he came, he saw, he was at the same risk of the robbers being there hidden in the bushes. He was in the same concern as the other two that went by, but when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, that doesn't mean he had a feeling. It means he put on compassion. He probably didn't feel like doing it. You don't always feel like loving others. When Jesus says, love God and love people, this isn't about feelings. It's making a decision. And sometimes you have to put on compassion. Like a jacket. You have to put it on you and just say, I'm going to put it on. Whether you feel like it or not, you want to, so you make that decision. And so the Samaritan makes the decision to put on compassion. He goes to him, he takes care of him, he heals up his wounds, put bandages him, puts some oil and wine on it, which is another way to put ointment on it to try to help with the infection. And, and then he puts him on his own animal, which means now he has to walk. And they walk and bring him to an inn or a house or somewhere where he can be cared for because he needs to recover. And so when he brings him here to recover, he pulls out two days worth of wages. That's a significant amount of money to pay for a stranger you do not know. 
So he had to make a decision here. We don't know if this person's naturally like throwing money around. Most likely not. He takes it out. He gives it to the innkeeper and he says, take care of him. Whatever more you spend above this, I'll repay you when I come back. Now I'm the innkeeper and I hear that. And this person's a stranger or even somebody I know for the most part, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Why don't you leave a little extra money then? And I'll give you money back when you come back through because I don't trust you. But obviously the Samaritan man to have that kind of trust given to him by this person has a reputation, one that you could trust. Maybe he's even done this before. And then Jesus asks this question, which is not the original question. Remember the original question, who is my neighbor? But Jesus asked this question, which of these three? And he's asking it to this expert in the law. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Did you catch that? Jesus is trying to help not only this expert in the law, but others to understand, look, it's not your place to determine who the neighbor is. The real question is, are you going to be a neighbor? Are you going to love in action? And so this expert in the law, I don't think he fully got there because he doesn't say the Samaritan. He can't even say the word. He just says the one who showed him mercy was the one that proved to be a neighbor. And so Jesus tells him again, you go and do, not just think, not just know the law, but do it. And the thing is, is when we do that, it gives us life. But to get to this place where we aren't experts in the law, where we're not trying to put people in the good and the bad, there has to be a transformation. We make the decision, we trust Jesus, and then we start to become humble and ask ourselves, is it possible that I'm not an expert? The more and more we get to the place where we're not an expert, the more and more we're set free to love. Um, I, a while back, was able to hear from a man that went through this transformation. And uh, I met him. I went to an intimate uh, thing he was doing where he was speaking and asking questions. And his name is uh, Jeremy Courtney. And this is his book, Love Anyway. And he's with his wife, started a group called Preemptive Love. And his early days he was sent by a church denomination to be undercover to go into a Muslim community and to convert Muslims to now follow Jesus. And he, he shares that he would walk into the synagogue, the, the, not the synagogues, but the mosques. And he was antagonistic because he knew, he knew because he was an expert that these Muslims needed saving. And they were wrong. So he'd come in with that attitude and they were welcoming to him, he said. And yet he said, I just felt like I needed to pick a fight because they were wrong. And he got so frustrated because he was there for two years and there was no fruit, no conversions. He didn't even plant a church. And so he's beginning to feel like a failure because he went with an agenda 
and he wasn't accomplishing anything. So he's just upset at God because he looks around at other things happening. He looks at other people who he deems as successful and he just starts saying, God, I gave you everything. I moved my wife and I were here. We're doing everything you asked. Why is there no fruit? And he heard God clearly. And this is what God said. It's because you don't love them. Did you catch that? Why, God? Why, why is there no fruit? Why, why are the things I want to be done not being done? What? Because you don't love them. That's what we're called to do. That's the step. And so he then begins to be transformed in his approach. And he tells his leaders back home, he goes, I'm not going to try to convert them anymore. And so back home, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, I'm just going to show up and be with them. It's, it's much like the approach that Henry Nouwen shares. He said, maybe what I need to do most is not set up these meetings, not set up these conferences, not worry so much about my teaching, but just be with the people and let them know with my words and my actions that I don't just love them, but I like them. And how do you get to the point where you like them? By being with them and being curious, by being humble, by not being an expert and asking questions. And I love the phrase that he came up with that he just kept repeating over and over again. He said, love anyways, and then ask questions. Now he's still curious, but he doesn't need to figure out if they're good or bad because are we really? His job was to do as Jesus says, to love God and love people. Now, in our common context, there's not probably too many of you living in Iraq like they live right now. So you live here and maybe you don't realize all the enemies that you have. Not people that consider you an enemy, but the people that you consider an enemy. And so we get out of our lane and we're too worried about being experts and, and you know, categorizing people and putting them where they need to go and we lose sight that we're supposed to love our neighbor. Even the word neighbor has a warmth to it. It's, it's, a, it's not love a stranger. It's not love an enemy. It's love your neighbor. And saying that even your enemies and your strangers are your neighbor. And of course your neighbors are your neighbor. But there's an element where we have to be stretched and challenged. And as we've shared a few weeks back, when you love radically, recklessly, without discernment, then what's going to happen is you will have opposition because this is disruptive. The kind of love that we're talking about from Jesus that he's calling us to, to love anyways, is disruptive. And so I was talking to uh, one of our staff members and as we were talking about what does it mean for us as a leadership to love God and love people and how do we lead our our people and others, and how do we model that? He, he shared a story of uh, people that had gone to a LGBTQ uh, parade, and it was blazing hot, like blazing, like dangerously hot. And so, you know, when you schedule any kind of parade or event, you, you plan the date, but it's so far in advance, you can't tell what the weather is, and so it's hot. 
And so they went down there, this, this group of Christians, and they had water and food. They wanted to make sure the people, they were hydrated. So they show up. And of course, the immediate response from people outside, meaning against the LGBT community, was, wait, does this mean that you believe in what their agenda is and what they're doing? And are you saying they're good or what they're saying is good? And the answer is simple. They went to love people. We're so concerned that we don't love anyway. We just ask all the questions. Wait, are you condoning this? Does this mean this? What if you were to go to a, um, an Antifa parade in the same heat, the same dangerous condition, and you see people that are thirsty? Do you go, oh, I don't know. I don't want to look like I agree with you, so I'm just going to let you pass out. No. You bring what's needed. You step in and do likewise, as Jesus said, and you go and care for them. It doesn't matter what they think or believe or what they've done. They're in need. We step in. That's what we do. Jesus doesn't want us just to believe that it's important to love God and love people. He wants us to go and do. Just like the Samaritan man. You go and do it. Do you think the Samaritan man didn't have opinions with this most likely, highly probable Jewish man that was on the side of the road that had been persecuting his people forever? He probably had cousins, brothers, sisters, grandparents that were affected, influenced, either physically, financially, emotionally, by this group of people. He had every reason to think they were bad. You know what he said? I'm loving people. That's what I'm going to choose to do. What if you go to a voting booth and, it, and there's no food and you realize the lines are super long? Well, you know, when you go and do this, does that mean that you are condoning their point of view? Are you now saying that voting rights, are you now saying, we're loving people. Uh, if you go to an immigration holding center and they don't have clean clothes or they don't have uh, toiletries and you go down there and you're going to be asked the question, Wait, wait, what is, what is your stance on immigration policy? Because it looks like we're loving people. It looks like we're loving people. That's what we do. Um, with the homeless, we have like homeless encampments here and there. And if you care for the homeless, some people say, whoa, 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 are you saying that you want to bring down the property values? Are you saying that you think that the government should take care of them? Are you saying that the church should take care of them? Don't worry about what you think I'm trying to say with this. Because what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to care for people that are in need. Um, what if you see a Bentley on the side of the road and the car's broken down? Are you like, well, they're rich enough. They can take care of themselves. No, you stop. Well, what are you saying? Is this, what is your opinion on the socioeconomic? It doesn't matter what my opinion is. I'm staying in my lane and my lane is to love anyway. We went and did some work in, uh, in Israel. And when we were there, people were like, well, are you, I'm like, glad to hear that you're saying that the Israelites have the, the, they have the land. It's their land. It was promised to them by God. And you are definitely understand the Palestinians don't really, we were going there because there were people in need and they asked us to come and help. And then I've had friends that have gone to the Palestinians and people are like, well, Hey, so good job. Now you realize we got to stop worrying about our perspectives and our expert in the law, because we're not. And you know, this could come all the way to your neighbor, literally your neighbor. 
the person across from you, the person on either side of you, the person down the street. And this could be either you or it could be them. Maybe you're enemies because of the parking situation. Maybe they have too many cars. Maybe their cars leak oil everywhere. Maybe it's you. Maybe you have too many cars. Maybe you have that diesel engine car that just fires up and they can't stand it because you wake them up because they sleep in. But then they're in need. Something happens at their house. It's flooding or maybe there's a fire or maybe there's someone sick. What do you do? They didn't have to earn your love. Because as a follower of Jesus, we love anyways. You may not like what they're doing, but you may not agree with it, but it doesn't matter. We love anyways. Maybe it's the parties or the sounds on either side, or maybe it's the trash. Maybe it's the way they take care of their property. That doesn't mean you have to always agree. There's room for disagreement, but there's a always a place. There's a calling to love. We are set free to love because we don't have to be experts. That should be a relief. So as we look at what does it mean to love God and to love people, it means we don't have to be experts in the law. In fact, Jeremy shared that uh, as his work continued on, uh, he's had to go into places where ISIS has... um, kind of ripped up a city. And so when they come in and after ISIS has been defeated in a particular place, just like many of you probably listening in, many of the demographic that would hear this, you think ISIS, they're the bad people. And so he would go into a community with his his group, Preemptive Love, and they're coming to bring supplies and food and bandages and they're coming to care for people. And even the existing government, depending on which country they're in, We'll say, you can't go and help them. You can't go to those people. Do you know what they've done? And I think Jesus would say, it doesn't matter. They're people. And they need to be cared for. That doesn't mean I'm condoning what they did. Because a lot of the people that are left in these communities are not the people that used to live there before. They're just the ISIS soldiers or somebody else that's left over. But the more and more that you spend time with your perceived enemy, with the perceived bad guys, you'll realize their humanity. You may not agree with the decisions they've made and you, you don't forget what's happened, but we move to that place of forgiveness and sometimes it's hard to get there, but you can always just love. We can love anyways and then move on to the other things later. And so when Jesus is talking to this expert in the law, he's trying to set them free, free from being experts. So be a neighbor, even to those that you may not think are qualified to receive your love. But if Jesus loved people, regardless of whether they've earned his love, then we most certainly can love people and not worry about whether they've earned it or not. They're humans. They're people. That's what we as the people of God do. We love anyway. And then we can ask questions later, but not to be judges, but to be curious, to know them. 
I've had so many people that I disagreed with talk about being in Europe, talk about being in Russia. When I went to Russia, it was the Soviet Union. And for us here in the United States, they were the bad guys. But to be in people's homes, for them to share their borscht with you, for them to show you pictures, you realize these are human beings. And you start to listen and you start to understand their culture and their heritage. And they move from being the bad guys to being guys and girls and men and women and children. Proximity and curiosity sets us free to do what Jesus has called us to, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. So we're set free. Let's go do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Father, this is a hard thing to do. We've been trained to be experts. So we ask for you to come and to set us free. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Be blessed.